Welcome to the second episode of our podcast on being smart about doing tourism. This is a podcast brought to you by the European Commission. My name is Misa and I'll be your host. Today we dip our foot into the war horse of the EU agenda, sustainability. Smart gets you further. As you might have heard, the EU wants Europe to become the first climate neutral continent. And for that, we have a green deal. So how does smart tourism come in? Well, smart is more than just digital. The European Capital of Smart Tourism competition is about sustainability as much as it is about technology. And the strategy of the European Commission on Tourism, which is called the Transition Pathway for Tourism, feel free to Google it, Transition Pathway for Tourism, you'll find it right away. Well, it is almost all about making tourism green and also be easier to take on by those who live in our wonderful destinations. Now, the problem is tourism is bad for the environment. And it's not just about the fact that we fly to our destinations, which already would send my carbon footprint to the roof. There's also the fact that when I'm on holidays, I'm in a grand time, me and the thousands of visitors with me, we use up resources. We produce waste. We cram on the beach, the forest, the bus. So everyone pays a price, the dolphins, the birds, and the people commuting to work. Making tourism sustainable means changing this for good, which sounds brilliant, but it requires the European Commission, the governments, the local authorities, and everyone involved to sit down around the table and actually discuss what needs to change, what needs to change first, and who should do it. So in this episode of the podcast, I have spoken to those who are doing this already and doing it well. But before we hear from them, I wanted to have a quick chat with Professor Xavier Font, Professor Font is an expert on sustainable tourism and is also one of the experts that evaluates our candidate destinations. With him, I wanted to start on a positive note. And so I asked him about the benefits of tourism before considering its costs. Tourism is essential for the European economy. It creates a, a large percentage of the jobs that we have in Europe, but also creates jobs amongst people who are very often not able to find work easily in other sectors. But also it's a great way of creating cross-cultural understanding, people getting to feel more European because they're getting to know about each other's cultures. And also from the point of view of the visitors, uh, tourism is essential for people's mental health and well-being. We need that sense of being able to escape from our day-to-day realities and recharge our batteries. But again, these benefits don't come without a cost. The environmental costs from tourism cannot be ignored. Um, you know, We're aware of um, energy costs, water costs, waste-related costs. Above all of those, the one that we tend to be most aware of right now is the carbon footprint. Tourism relies on travel, and travel very much, um, very often is related to flying. And the, the cost in environmental terms of that flying is about 70 to 80% of the total carbon footprint of an entire holiday. It's high, it's not acknowledged by many people, and it's something that we just hope it wouldn't happen. So we tend to underplay it very often in our marketing strategies for destinations, as well as in our plans to go on holiday ourselves. Beyond transportation, there are other factors that come into play once we get to destination. When we go on holiday, we tend to consume much more than we would do at home. It's a moment of luxury. It's a moment of enjoying yourselves. So it's a moment when you tend to not consider that the place you went to, for example, will have a shortage in certain resources. So typically, for example, if you go to a beach destination, a local person consumes four times less water than a visitor. The visitor is enjoying themselves on their holiday. And as a result of that, we tend to overconsume. 
this happens in whichever kind of holiday we do. It's a moment of overconsumption, of pleasure, and it's very difficult to ask consumers, you know, tone it down a little bit, be respectful, because they're saying, I've worked really hard for 51 weeks of the year. This is my one moment to enjoy myself. So clearly, as important as tourism is, it is super costly for the environment. So what can we do? First thing we can do is to better understand and measure the problem. We measure what we treasure. I see most progress happening in those destinations where they're not just looking at the figures that they like, job creation, financial turnover, but they're looking at the full set of data to be able to take informed decisions. So, for example, where they're considering residents' perceptions of tourism, as well as the carbon footprint of travelers going to those destinations, alongside the data on the expenditure those visitors will have in the place and how much of that expenditure will permeate onto the local economy. Something else we can do, apart from measuring, is deciding which kinds of tourists a destination wants to attract. For example, a destination could look at different markets that they could try to attract. They could say, I can attract a domestic traveler, I can attract a European traveler, or a traveler that will come from really far away, a long-haul traveler. And you may find that long-haul travelers spend more money per person per day. However, their carbon footprint is also disproportionately much, much higher. You need to consider both variables, the carbon footprint as well as the expenditure per person, and then say, what's the cost-benefit ratio? And is the cost that we're going to pay residents being displaced because of you know, visitors using Airbnb or the carbon footprint of those um, you know, travelers? Is that a cost that we're willing to accept for the economic expenditure we're gaining from this individual? And you may find that when you consider all the variables together, there are some segments, there are some groups of visitors that, for example, have a much better cost-benefit ratio than others will do. Apart from improving our measurement tools and apart from deciding which kind of tourist destination wants to attract, something else we can do is to decide which types of activities are on offer, but not just during high season, rather over the course of entire year, so that the sustainability cost does not happen all at once. We will know that some activities are highly seasonal and therefore we need to build infrastructure for a short period of time. But from a return investment, you then need to make money over three months, for example, in the year to justify the survival of business for 12 months. Well, you know, you don't need to be really good at math to realize that's very difficult to do. Or we can do segmentation of visitors and activities, looking at activities that can be financially viable all year round. And therefore, by doing this, we're putting less stress on a particular destination to maximize revenue in a very, very short period of time, which creates a, a disproportionate number of negative impacts also during that short period of time. We need to find ways in which destinations can think, how do I become a 12-month you know, in the year uh, tourist destination? So segmentation will look at both the type of tourists we want to attract and also the type of activities we want to offer those tourists. Obviously, different destinations face different challenges, which means that there are no one-size-fits-all solutions. Let's take, for example, the problem of carbon footprint and transportation. Obviously, it'd be great if we stopped flying altogether and find different ways to get to destination, but really, that is not possible for many locations. The first thing you have to do as a destination, if you have no choice but to rely on air travel, is to change your marketing strategies to deliberately increase length of stay. All your marketing plans have to be about increasing length of stay. 
But we have seen too many DMOs that get rewarded for volume of tourist arrivals and not length of stay. And I have seen tourist you know, DMOs that are providing financial incentives to airlines based on volume of arrivals, again, not length of stay. So we're promoting weekend breaks to really far away destinations or overnight stays. Think of going and see um, you know, Santa in Lapland. Okay, you know, you can make that a 24 hour visit or we can make that a minimum three day visit. Okay, and I know that you may say, well, we will have fewer tourists if we promote as a three day visit and there is a minimum length of stay. Well, true. But what is going to be the economic impact in a destination? Whenever you market people also for a very, very short periods of time, everybody goes to a honeypot location. If you went to Paris for the first time in your life, you will go to the Eiffel Tower, correct? But if you stayed in Paris for seven days, you're not going to go to the Eiffel Tower seven times, right? Or if you went to the Eiffel Tower to Paris for the third visit in your lifetime, you're not going to keep going back to the Eiffel Tower. So our marketing strategies need to stop being for first-time visitors to sell them honeypots. And they need to be specifically looking at repeat markets and specifically trying to increase length of stay. So as we can see, there's a number of policy decisions that can tip the balance and help create a more sustainable tourism economy. But it really all depends on the kind of information that we gather, and it's not always easy. As an example, it'd be great to attract more tourists from your home country, domestic tourists, and from the neighboring countries right next door. That'd be amazing because, you know, there's a much lower cost involved in terms of sustainability. But this is so hard to measure and quantify. It's easy to measure how many people enter through your airport using an international passport and how long they stayed. You need to collect the data for other reasons. It's very difficult to measure people who travel by car from one European country to another where there are no physical borders and will have stayed in an apartment or a second home or with friends and relatives. Now, the fact that we're not accounting for all of that doesn't mean it's not happening. Which brings us to our next conversation with Barry from Dublin. So my name is Barry Rogers and I am the Smart Tourism Programme Manager for Dublin. Over the past few years, Dublin has been making incredible progress in terms of sustainability. And one of the ways in which it has been able to do so has been by using technology and innovation. Dublin, of course, is located in a way that makes it very hard to tackle one of the major factors that impact sustainability. And this is true for pretty much all islands, really. Ireland is an island uh, and in terms of the way we see Ireland as a visitor tourism destination uh, we see it as a, an all-Ireland proposition. We very much market the island of Ireland overseas you know the vast majority of our visitors get to the island by air. Now that's not to say like a, a significant proportion do come through our cross-channel services as well but the vast majority do get here um, into primarily Dublin Airport, which accounts for the lion's share of access to the country. But there are many other ways in which a destination can improve its performance in terms of sustainability. And in the past few years, Dublin has been doing just that. Like the rest of the world, the tourism sector in Dublin has been facing very difficult challenges during the pandemic. But Barry and his colleagues have been using this time to develop all kinds of innovative digital tools. And why? to improve the way they track and they collect information. Initially, when we started, we were just trying to fill this technology gap, right? Like it seemed like the private sector was outpacing the tourism sector in terms of its adoption of innovation and technology. And 
what we were concerned with in Folge Ireland and in Dublin City Council was how we were going to address this gap. So that's the origin story. But then we kind of pivoted toward being more, I suppose, more ambitious. So our definition of smart tourism is very much that it's a model for supporting innovation and driving positive transformation within primarily our city, but, you know, other destinations. And to do that, we use technology, we use data analysis, we use digitalization to build more accessible, sustainable, equitable destinations. And ultimately, the reason we're doing this, and it's very it's very much an ambition that we're going toward and not something that we've necessarily already achieved. But ultimately, the reason we're doing it is you're trying to create more inclusive prosperity for the people who live locally in your city or in your destination. And you're trying to create better experiences for the visitors who then come and visit. So we're using things like technology, data analysis, digitalization, digital experience development, you know, big data, economic analysis. These are the tools in our toolbox, which we are now using to try and uh, address these problems. This information is available now to all policymakers, to the industry, to the public, and this really opens up new ways to make decisions that, you know, can improve sustainability. Sustainability needs to be evidence-based. In order to make decisions which will have a profound sustainable impact, you need to be making those decisions on a foundation of empirical evidence. You know, one of the best things about sustainability is you get to try and distribute your visitors throughout your, your destination, both in terms of their geographic location and in terms of when they visit throughout the year. But one of the questions around that is, well, how do you empirically measure that distribution over time? And unless you can empirically measure that, then you won't be able to fully understand it. So for us, that's everything um, from having our excellent Fault Ireland data, having our extremely good central statistics data, and then having everything we have on dub length with you know, all of our footfall counters across the city. Those are the databases. Those are the systems. Those are the infrastructure that will allow us to make very, very good tourism sustainability decisions into the future. I really like what Barry said about innovation, positive change, prosperity and inclusivity. By the way, Dublin was one of our candidate capitals last year. They were shortlisted and they did really well. So we'll be hearing a lot more from Barry and from his team in a later episode. And now we'd like to turn to another very special destination. This is a small town with big ambitions, and it defied all expectations. To guide us through this incredible story, I'd like to introduce you to Morten Vestergaard, the head of sustainability in the Danish town of Mittelfart. Yeah, uh, happy to uh, introduce you a little to, uh, to the municipality of Mittelfart. Our DNA is sustainability. Ever since we were formed in 2007, sustainability has been in the heart of all our political decisions. Now, we are from the small island of Fyn in Denmark, the uh, island of the great storyteller Hans Christian Andersen. And what we've achieved within sustainability is more or less a fairy tale. Unlike the great storytellers' uh, magnificent stories, our story is true. Mittelfart is the winner of the 2022 Eden Destinations of Excellence competition, which prizes our small towns that are pioneers in sustainability. Our municipality is a small one, 40,000 inhabitants, but we're proving that even if you're small, you can achieve great results within climate and sustainability. Despite being somewhat remote, the town remains very well connected. 
Getting to Middelfart is rather easy. I mean, we are at a train station, so public transportation that's uh, carbon-friendly is easy. We are one of the best located situations in Denmark if you're coming with an electric vehicle and we have a very very good infrastructure for cycling if you're going on on cycling trips through Denmark or Germany you know the longer tourist trips for for cycling so it's easy to get to us and we also do a lot in uh, cyberspace so uh, we try to support people who want to hear our ideas and visit us with a lot of live sessions With a combination of political will, professionalism and a collaborative approach, the town has managed to create a unique model for sustainability. To become an award-winning municipality, our approach was rather simple because we were using, you know, the surroundings and the surroundings are in Middelfart a wonderful and ambitious political setting. I mean, politicians make a difference. And our politicians want to work with sustainability, and they've done this since the municipality was more or less born in 2007. Our approach on working in sustainability is public-private uh, cooperations involving citizens. So, I mean, we don't have several hundred people working on this at the municipality, but we have several thousand people working together with us on the sustainable agenda. And I think that's an important thing to, uh, to be able to accomplish uh, a mission uh, like we've been on and still are striving for. I agree. And actually, the town has actually managed to leverage its modest size and use it to its advantage. A lot of people say size uh, can have something to do with agility. And yes, I think we have uh, agility to make this transformation towards sustainable uh, development. And I think we have proven that this is something any city in Europe can work with, with success. So I think that's maybe the most important message to, to Europe. I mean, a small municipality can do great uh, things within sustainability. See why Middelfart is a pioneer in Europe. It's easy to get here. We're working on hotels, uh, Airbnbs, etc. with a sustainable uh, profile. We have been working ever since we were formed with uh, some of the biggest nature parks, public nature parks in uh, Denmark. We've also been amongst one of the first um, municipalities in Denmark cooperating with other municipalities in making our marine life, the, the sea just uh, at our front door, to a natural conservation park for small dolphins, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's, it's a very uh, easy way to get nature experiences, but also getting into the ways of working with sustainabilities by going to, let's say, a local high school, folk high schools, where you can learn about sustainability in your vacation. And the culmination of all of this is the Middelfart Climate Festival. 
the climate festival <laughs> i mean i remember when it started it it was you know in in some of the the uh, smaller uh meeting rooms it's developed to uh attend with last year attending 10 approximately 10,000 people and there are two th- main things we say it's about climate and sustainability not not all other stuff and it's for the people so it's not big business that's coming and talking this is ordinary people artists and and uh, activists ngos etc etc who come and meet and discuss sustainability and climate this year's festival is going to be spectacular listen to this when we won the eden award we we got even more encouraged to do international work and cooperate with europe and also the world this year's festival will be in the climate in space concept now i said climate in space sounds crazy yeah what we're doing is we're working on what astronauts and psychologists call the overview effect if you're in outer space like astronauts are looking at the fragile planet you will know we are in outer space we are in space on this planet and that makes you think that engages you so what we're doing practically we're sending a weather balloon with cameras loudspeakers up in the air while we're doing the festival so you get this view of a festival space getting smaller and smaller and smaller while the balloon is going into the air and we're transmitting so this is breaking in denmark and fun stuff this model will presumably be used at the cop 27 united nations next climate uh, meeting in november so i mean the eden award really raised our ambitions and we're working a lot with artists this year uh, to make this happen climate in space i think europe will hear a lot more about this this is so cool So if you can, do go to the Middlefart Climate Festival, first weekend of September, you won't regret it. Our final conversation wrapping up this episode also comes to us from up north, this time in Sweden. Hi everyone, I'm Katarina Torstensson and I'm the Head of Sustainability at Gothenburg Co. And the Gothenburg Co. is the destination management organization of the city of Gothenburg. Gothenburg Sweden's second largest city on the west coast of the country. And over the past four decades or so, give or take, it transformed completely. We used to be uh, uh, an industrial city with uh, refineries and shipbuilding industry and so on and so forth. And has transformed into more of a, a knowledge, a city of knowledge. And in that transformation, tourism has played and is playing an important role to sort of build um, pride uh, and also to attract investments and attract talents by having an interesting city to to visit and to live in. Uh, we, are, we are considered a sort of capital of events in Scandinavia. So being an event city is definitely a part of the Gothenburgians' identity. Katarina is being modest. Being a big center of local and global industry for decades, the city found itself 
at a crossroad back in the mid-80s. In the mid-80s, uh, the uh, environmental minister in Sweden at the, ta- at the time, she came to visit Gothenburg. <laughs> she called us the courtyard to hell uh, due to the severe pollution. It was pollution of air and it was pollution of water. This became the starting point of the transformation. The people working in the environmental administration of the city, they started several projects, but they they found out that to succeed, they had to work together with the private industry. So this was also the start of uh, the cooperation between public and private. Today, Gothenburg is a pioneer force with sustainable solutions for tourism. For this reason, it was the winner of the European Capital for Smart Tourism Award back in 2020, so really very recently. It was one of the first places to set consumption-based emission targets. 92% of the city's hotels and 100% of meeting facilities are environmentally certified, and it has developed tools to track and measure the impact of the events taking place within the city bounds. And there's a lot more. We have done things in in quite a few areas, working with suppliers, but also using our events to sort of showcase uh, good examples, uh, testing, experimenting on on solutions. We have... uh, just uh, launched disposable free inner city so we can uh, take out takeaway cups and stuff like that uh, so we go into a circular economy within the city and with the restaurants and cafes. Gothenburg has the luxury of being relatively compact and walkable you know for a metropolitan or pocket metropolitan as locals refer to it. But yes its geographic location means many travelers arrive by air. So how to compensate? We try to inspire the travellers to, to come to us in, in a, a low-carbon way, mode of transport. But we are up north. We, we, sort of, we need every mode of transportation that we can get up here. So we try to be, find ways to attract people to stay longer. And also looking at how we can mitigate uh, the uh, emissions from, uh, from flying, buying biojet fuel. So we really try to work on a, on a wide uh, area to do what we can. Ultimately, the journey to improve the sustainability of our tourism industry is an exponential one. Looking at what some destinations have been doing, combining creative thinking, know-how and political will is a source of hope and inspiration. The future looks bright and in principle we know what we need to do. Here's Professor Font again wrapping it all up. In the long term, we would have tourist destinations that are year-round destinations where the infrastructure that we have created to handle those tourists can withstand that pressure all along and where we can create a circular economy where you're managing the, the usage of resources and the labor force so people are able to be employed with dignity throughout the year and we're reducing the number of resources that we are using and we put those resources back into use into the local economy again. Before we go, there's just time for me to remind you that you can find all about the European Capital Smart Tourism Initiative on our website, smarttourismcapital.eu. Check it out. Europe is a fantastic destination, and not just because it's beautiful, but also because it's smart. Thanks so much to all our guests and to you for listening and for your interest in smart tourism. Bye. Smart gets you further.